Uh, go with us to Mark chapter 10, and it's good to see new faces, first-time faces in this service with us as well as uh, the first service. And if you are just joining us, this is your first time, there is a sermon guide that's in your bulletin. You can take that out, take some notes. And just to kind of let you know where we are, we are going through on Sunday mornings the Gospel of Mark. So this is our 40th sermon. It's been a little over a year because we've had a few special Sundays uh, where we've taken a little break from it. But we are just about to go, of course, into Matthew or Mark chapter 11, beginning next week, which is Passion Week. It's the last week of Jesus's life before he goes to the cross and is crucified. And so this is leading right into uh, the Passion Week. And this is one of those stories that most of us, or many of us who grew up in Sunday school, how many of you remember this story being told in Sunday school? All right, just me. Okay, there are a few others. And if you're old enough, you remember the flannel graphs and, and the, the story pictured for us in that way. But as we come to this text this morning, it is the final healing miracle of Jesus before the cross. From the very first miracle that he performed just north of Galilee and Cana of Galilee at the wedding where he turned water into wine until now this last miracle of healing before he goes to the cross, each miracle has been done with purpose. It has demonstrated his power, but all to, to show his compassion and his power so that he could preach salvation so he could preach to people the entrance into the kingdom of God. And so he and his disciples, they started in Galilee. They're on their way up to Jerusalem. And here in our text, they are in a place called Jericho. And as we read this text, remember that it is going into Passion Week. It is leading us to the cross of Jesus Christ. If you're able to stand physically, would you do so in reverence of the word of God as we read it, beginning in verse number 46. And they, and that is speaking, of course, of Jesus and his disciples, they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still, and he commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, be of Good comfort, rise. He is calling. Speaking of Jesus, he's calling for you. And he, Bartimaeus, casting away his garment, rose and he came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to come together around your word to worship you. Our hearts are excited and thrilled as we sung that last song, just thinking about being around your throne and worshiping you and, and praising you forever and ever. 
and, and making that statement that you will reign forever. And Lord, I pray today as we come to this text that you would speak to our hearts. And I pray specifically if there is anyone here this morning with us that has never put their faith and trust in you alone for salvation, that today would be that day. And then for us who have already done that, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would draw us closer to you, that we would see, Lord, the importance of being close to you and not allowing us to be dim of vision. Give us clarity today through your word and speak to us, we pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. If you read verse number 46, the opening verse of our text, you, you might only see one blind man in the text. And there's only one blind man there, and that's blind Bartimaeus. But the truth is, is that there are several blind people in this passage. In fact, blind Bartimaeus might be the least blind person in the passage. Because as we have been seeing, as we've been studying this, Jesus has been dealing with spiritual blindness. You might remember several months ago when the disciples were not seeing clearly and, and he, he was revealing things to them in time and he is showing them, you have some spiritual blindness. Certainly we know that they are spiritually blind to the reality of the Messiah, right? Jesus has told them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be beaten. And what do they say? No, that's not, that's not what's going to happen. They're blind to the reality when it comes to their Messiah. And then also notice that this is the second time. Those of you that were here last week, you'll remember that in the text last time with the disciples, remember he asked them, what would you like for me to do for you? And if you were here last week, you remember that James and John requested that they sit on the right hand, right and left hand of God the Father in the kingdom. So they're, they're asking for VIP seating in the kingdom of God. Well, he asked the same exact question here to blind Bartimaeus. What would you like for me to do for you? And blind Bartimaeus doesn't ask to be seen like James and John do in the previous text. He simply says, I would like to see. I would like to be able to have my sight. And you need to understand that by connecting these two passages that God isn't just telling us a story. He's not just a storyteller. He's put these here together for a purpose. And the blindness and healing in our text is, is much more than just physical blindness. It's much more than just physical healing. It certainly is that. But it is much more than that. As we're going to see, it's spiritual as well. As I mentioned, the setting, the city is Jericho. On their way to Jerusalem, the disciples and Jesus, they, they now pass through Jericho en route. Jesus has just concluded a brief preaching and teaching and healing mission in Perea. And now he is crossing the Jordan River and he is going into Jericho. And in Jericho, it's important to realize this and understand this. And Mark doesn't record both of these accounts for us. But there are two wonderful salvation accounts that take place in Jericho leading up to the week of Passion Week. We see here blind Bartimaeus, but also we see Zacchaeus recorded for us in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was also saved here in Jericho. 
What we see in Jericho are two lost souls that are found, two darkened minds that are enlightened, that are able to see, two sinners who are saved, two outcasts that are reconciled. And remember, there there are thousands of people that are going to encounter Jesus from Jericho to Jerusalem, right? From here to the cross, there are going to be all kinds of people that are going to encounter him. These are the last two salvation accounts until we get to the cross and then we know at the cross the thief on the the cross is saved and the centurion is saved so there's two more thousands of people encountering Jesus but to our knowledge recorded in scripture only four of them recorded as placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ It's a vivid reminder for us of what Jesus says in the word of God. He says this, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to everlasting life. And few there be that find it. And we see that illustrated in this final week before Jesus' death. Many thousands of people, to our knowledge, what's recorded, four of them, who have a salvation experience. The natural assumption for all of us is that blind people can't see, right? I almost entitled this, um, I see, said the blind man. You ever said that to anybody? I see, said the blind man. Uh, we We would assume blind people don't see. But what I want you to see in this text is a blind man who saw. There's at least four things that I see in the text that blind Bartimaeus saw. First of all, he saw the true identity of Jesus. There is no doubt that word had traveled to Jericho that Jesus was en route, that he was coming through. In fact, just down the road from Jericho is a city of Bethany. And you remember in Bethany that there was a man who was raised from the grave in Bethany, a man, close friend of Jesus, a man named Lazarus. Word was spreading all about this man named Jesus who was coming through and that he could do miracles and that he could heal. And it was because Jesus had raised Lazarus that the Jews said, we can't, we can't tolerate this man anymore. We have to get rid of this man named Jesus. He's got to be crucified. He's got to be killed. He's got to be taken out. So there is a A lot of attention around this man named Jesus. And so verse 47 reveals to us that all the other people that were around blind Bartimaeus, they acknowledged Jesus as Jesus the Nazarene or Jesus of Nazareth. But what we see about blind Bartimaeus is that he did not just acknowledge Jesus as Jesus the Nazarene. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, He began, the text says, to cry and to say, Jesus, son of David. And I love that the text specifies that he cried aloud. It's it's the the Greek verb there, krazo, and it means to shout. It's a very strong word that shows desperation. And he begins to shout and to scream in desperation. And he doesn't just say Jesus of Nazareth, and this is very important. He says, Jesus, son of David. When everyone else was just acknowledging him as Jesus of Nazareth, Bartimaeus said, Jesus, son of David. 
And both of those names are significant because you know Jesus, right? The Bible says that that name was given to him at his birth because he would save his people from their sins. And then we see that it also means Jehovah saves. And then son of David is a messianic title. And what Bartimaeus is doing in calling him Jesus, son of David, is not just acknowledging him as a miracle worker, as a healer, but what he is saying is, I am putting my faith and trust that you are the Messiah. You are the son of David. Why son of David? That's a an heir of David's throne. According to 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Messiah was to be heir of throne. And so this was the most common Jewish title for for the Messiah, son of David. And Bartimaeus, in the midst of everybody else calling him Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth, he says, no, Jesus, son of David. He says it twice. And so what you see in the text is, yes, a blind man, but I would say this, a blind man with 20-20 vision. A blind man who, when all the rest of the people around him did not acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, he acknowledged him as the Messiah. And how many of you would say, that illustrates us who have been born again as well? Because we've never seen him with our physical eyes, but we have put our faith in him. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, Peter describes this. He says, whom having not seen, speaking of Jesus, whom having not seen, We love. How many of you would give testimony to that? I haven't seen him, but I love him. I haven't seen him with my physical eyes, but I love him. And he says, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. See, there were a lot of people there in Jericho, and there are going to be a lot of people when we get to Jerusalem who saw Jesus with their physical eyes. But they did not see him by faith spiritually. They could not see him. They saw him as a prophet. They saw him as a good teacher. They saw him as a healer. They saw him as a revolutionary. Yet by faith, blind Bartimaeus trusted in him as his Savior, as his Christ, the Son of God. And just like you and I who put our faith and trust in Jesus, when he did, Jesus made a massive difference in his life. Jesus, when he comes into our life, he changes us completely. And listen, there's a lot of discussion today still about who Jesus is. In fact, maybe if we were to take a poll in this room or we were to go out into the city today and say, who do you think Jesus is? There's a lot of different answers that we would get. People are divided on this. And you may not even be settled in your mind who Jesus is, but let me just say that that we believe According to the word of God, this is our final authority on who Jesus is. It doesn't matter man's opinion. It doesn't matter my opinion. But let me tell you what the word of God says about Jesus. What the word of God reminds us about Jesus is that he is the son of God. He is the second person in the Trinity. It tells us that he came in human flesh. He was born of a virgin. He came and he lived a sinless life. So that he could die a sacrificial death for you and I on the cross. And then thank God on the third day as we sang about this morning. He rose bodily victoriously from the grave. In Acts he ascended back into heaven where he is currently sitting on the right hand of his father. Waiting on the cue for him to come back. And one day he is coming back for his church. 
He is coming back to rule. He is coming back to judge. He is coming back with his saints to rule and reign in a new heaven and a new earth. This is who Jesus is. And here is what we know. The scripture tells us there is salvation in no one else, David. There is salvation in no one else. And Jesus made his most bold claim when he said this. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. He is the only way. And it's so important that we, as blind Bartimaeus did, come to a place in our, lo- in our life where we say, I'm not putting my faith in my works. I'm not putting my faith in anyone, any, anyone else other than Jesus, the Messiah. I'm putting all my stakes in him. It is by grace alone that you and I are able to be saved. It is by faith alone that we're able to be saved in Jesus Christ alone that we're able to be saved. This is the truth about Jesus. And Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. He says for verse 22, for the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. I love this little phrase. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, that's a stumbling block. Under the Greeks, that's foolishness. How many of you can give a testimony to this? But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than man. And so God has called us to respond As wise people to this revelation of who Jesus Christ is by trusting in him as our Savior and our Lord. And let me just stop here and ask you this morning, have you ever done that? Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal salvation? And I ask you that because it's the most important decision you will ever make in this life. My eternal destiny and your eternal destiny depends on what we do with Jesus Christ. That's why it's important for us to see him for who he is, to have the right identity of him. Our response to the gospel is the only thing that will determine our eternal destiny. The Bible is clear. You receive the truth about Jesus, you're saved eternally. You spend eternity with him in heaven. You reject him and you are condemned eternally. So though he was blind, Bartimaeus saw the true identity of Jesus. Secondly, he saw the mercy of Jesus. He was a man in great need of mercy. We see that in verse 46, don't we? Look at it. He was blind. He was begging. He was crying. He struggled in every way possible in this life. He was blind. He struggled physically. Because he was blind and struggled physically, he struggled financially. The Bible says he was at the wayside begging for food. He also struggled socially. He was an outcast because of his blindness. But you also need to understand that he struggled spiritually. Because in this time, if you were blind, it was because you were under under the divine judgment of God that you were blind. Do you remember the text in John chapter 9 where they asked Jesus, about the man who was born blind. Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? I mean, he's 
somehow under divine judgment, either by his own sins or by the sins of his parents. And of course, Jesus says neither one. But this was an outcast. He was a man who was alienated, a man who was, who was in their assessment under the divine judgment and the divine curse of God. He was a beggar pushed to the margins of mainstream society. The people that perhaps we would look down upon if we saw them on the street. And no doubt this man felt rejected by the people in his society, perhaps by his own family. He was desperate for mercy. Do you see his condition? He needed a miracle. And while others showed no mercy, Jesus was full of mercy. And his one request, he says it twice, verse 47 and verse 48, have mercy on me. Now listen, again, this is a great story of the power of God in healing. And it's powerful. And how many of you believe God can still heal today? Amen? He can. But there is a deeper meaning than this. Because you and I also, spiritually, are in great need of God's mercy. This is a physical story. But when I think of this story, I can't help but my mind go to Luke chapter 18. I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit. You guys will figure it out and follow me. But when I think about needing mercy, Jason, I think about Luke chapter 18. The, the publican, the tax collector is there in the center. And it says in verse number 11, the Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off, he would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, notice this phrase, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Look here for just a moment. You want to know the big difference between these two men? You want to know why one went to his house saved and justified and the other didn't? Because the, the Pharisee did not see himself in need of anything. I'm all right. I'm good. I'm good to go. You compare me to the rest of the world, I'm a good guy. But the publican saw himself desperate for the mercy of God. And that was his prayer, have mercy upon me. J.C. Ryle said this in the 19th century, many years ago, sinners remain unconverted because they do not feel sufficiently their own sins. They are not thoroughly convinced of the plague of their own hearts and the disease of their own souls. And let me just say this morning, before you can ever experience God's mercy, you have to find yourself in a desperate place as a sinner realizing that his mercy and his grace is the only way that you and I can have eternal life. Amen. Romans 3.10 says that, that, that there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages, the earnings, what we deserve for our sin is death and hell. We are in desperate need of God's mercy. 
And he sees himself here needing the mercy of God. Thirdly, not only did he see the true identity and the mercy of Jesus, but he also saw the power of Jesus. See this in verse number 51, his request. What do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? Lord, that I might receive my sight. That's a pretty bold request, isn't it? I want to see. I've been blind, but I want to see. But the Bible also tells us it was a faith-filled request. It was full of faith. He said, you're healed because of your faith. Not just physically, but spiritually as well. He truly believed in his heart that Jesus could do the supernatural. And I want to ask you again this morning, do you truly believe that Jesus, that God can still do the supernatural? If so, what happened to our bold prayers? If so, what happened to us risking it all for the Lord? I was reminded in study this week of a song that we grew up singing in children's church, and I didn't realize then what I know now, and that is that it is a theologically rich tune that our kids, by the way, need to be singing again. And it had motions to it, as most kids' songs do. But it says this, Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do. The mountains are his. The the valleys are his. The stars are his handiwork too. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing our God cannot do. Do you believe that? Nothing is impossible when we put our trust in God. With God, nothing shall be impossible. No matter how in bondage Satan has you convinced that you are, Jesus is able to break the largest of chains. No matter what you're going through this morning in your own life, no matter what you have done, you are never beyond the reach of God's power and God's grace. He was able to see firsthand the power of Jesus. And then lastly, and we're done, he was able to see the face of Jesus. The face of Jesus. Verse 52 Jesus says, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole, and immediately he received his sight, and I love this last little phrase here, a lot of times you would just skip over this, don't don't skip over it, he followed him in the way. His eyes were opened, he saw the very face of God, he saw the very face of the Messiah, he saw the face of Jesus. And the thing about having our spiritual eyes opened is that when we by faith put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I have the promise of Scripture that one day, when this life is over, that we will see the very face of Jesus, Dr. Clark. His very face. I don't know if that does anything for you, but when I'm singing, Behold Our God, I'm imagining myself at the throne of God, seeing the very face of God, worshiping God for all eternity. And if that don't excite you, you're in trouble. The hymn writer wrote this, When by his grace 
I shall look on his face. That's what will be glory. So are you excited about the streets of gold, the walls of jasper? All right. The mansion or the room, whichever one you're going to have. You excited about that, the things that are there? Mm. I'm most excited about being in the presence of Jesus and seeing him face to face. 